Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited today to welcome our guest, Aaron Bowdy. Aaron is an accomplished and seasoned people strategist with a comprehensive background in project management, social marketing, business strategy and operations, leadership and organizational development, as well as effective strategies for emotional and social intelligence in a work environment. And for those who have been fans of our podcast, you know that we have talked about the impact that emotional and social intelligence can have on being brave at work. Sometimes it helps and sometimes it does not help. So I hope we'll talk a little bit about that. Aaron's experience is in developing organizational strategies, company-wide communication strategies, planning, media relations, leadership and team development, and behavior change. That is quite the list. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Ed. We are thrilled that you're here, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about your background and what has brought you to do what you do today as you interact in the marketplace. Yeah, well, I I love thinking of thinking backwards for me because it feels like a lifetime ago, and also like not at all, not much time has passed. Really, like it just goes quickly. Um, I. I started out my career focused in social marketing. How can we make behavior change happen in the context of the sort of corporate environment uh, to influence sales and motivations? And it, what was interesting for me is I quickly realized how powerful influence was to uh, motivating people, right? And, and sort of in marketing, you know, motivating people to sort of per- purchase or take action. Then I really recognized how powerful it was for the sort of inner workings of business too. And so my career sort of shifted um, midline <laughs> to to really focus inward on the people part of business and the influence needed there. And so I spent um, about 17 years in leadership development and team development and, you know, you try every which way to help folks find the right pieces of the puzzle. And I've been trained in Myers-Briggs and the DISC assessment and the color profile and all of these, you know, different tools. And what I found throughout that time, about 13 years ago, I was introduced to the Enneagram. 
And it was just something that allowed me to go a little deeper, a little more quickly and a little more effectively for self and for team. And so I found me, you know, really sort of ankle deep in uh, using behavior change and influence and mindset in such a different way. Um, and it was this sort of beautiful birthing of all of these tools in one place as a way to create and facilitate change. So that's kind of how I ended in, in that part of my career. And then, you know, to bring the personal alongside of it, I got married and had kids. Um, a mom in the workforce can be a challenging thing to do. And my oldest daughter was diagnosed on the autism spectrum. And so I was juggling career and kiddos and so I ended up taking a back seat in my big corporate job and found I was like, oh, I'll just kind of do this consulting on the side. And five years later, it's back to a full-time gig and keeping me really busy. And so <laughs> I sort of get myself in trouble that way. But I'm very, very fortunate that um, I've been able to do what I love uh, on my own schedule and, and still be able to react to the needs of my family. Well, it sounds like a fantastic background, and you touched on a couple of things that are of great interest to our listeners, which is what I call personality preference tools like MBTI and DISC uh, and the Enneagram, which I hope we'll talk a little bit about today, uh, as these are tools that people can use to help build self-awareness so you understand how you interact, but also how others perceive you in the workplace. As I love to say, low self-awareness is a person you do not want to work for because they don't know how people interact with them and experience them in the workplace. And they tend to be the proverbial bull in the china shop. Somebody with high self-awareness knows what they're good at, knows what they're not good at, and builds strategies and tools in order to, to navigate through that. And I am imagining that that's been your experience using those tools as well. You na- you, yes, you've nailed it. And, and that's what I think I love about them so much is how effective they can be when they're used well, right? And, and how, um, how much they can expose maybe when they aren't. So it, it can be a really powerful tool in the hands of good. <laughs> in the hands of good, good interpreters and good users, anything is possible. So for our listeners, it's important to explore you know, one of those tools. And perhaps you work in an organization where those tools are utilized and you can self-express interest in uh, being a client to, to do that work. And Aaron, you know, I really would love to talk a little bit about a topic we have not talked about on this podcast to date. And this is after two years of being in the marketplace, which is the Enneagram. And this is a, another tool that exists within the market. I'm not certified. I'm certainly aware of the Enneagram. And I'm just wondering uh, two things, and I'll tell you what they both are, but let's talk about them one at a time. First, if you could tell us a little bit about the Enneagram and kind of what it looks like and how people use it. And then I'll come back and ask you to tell us a little bit about the relationship that might exist between Enneagram and bravery or courage or saying what needs to be uh, said or doing what needs to be done in the workplace. But before we get there, can you talk to us a little bit about you know what the Enneagram is, what it looks like, and you know how it can be best utilized? Yeah, it's a great question. And one that has really motivated me, um, I started getting my PhD about four years ago, and my dissertation and research focus is on creating some more empirical evidence around the Enneagram because I've seen its effectiveness in the context of, for self and team but yet it lacks all of that juicy literature that we get out of 
tools like, you know, MBTI and, you know, predictive index and all these great, you know, very, very um, digestible tools in the corporate context. And so I wanted to be a small teeny drop in the pool to sort of pull it together because what the Enneagram did for me in leadership development in business was it helped me to not only identify the core characteristics or behaviors that we might see in an individual at work, right? Uh, and, And behavior is learned, you know, behavior is evolved. It's birthed out of coping. It's birthed out of environment and culture and expectation. And so behavior doesn't tell us much about the individual other than how adaptable they are. So you get a lot of people who will say, well, I'm different at work versus I'm different at home, or I, I've changed in this job versus this job. And really, it teaches us nothing other than what I'm capable of outputting under expectation. And so as leaders, as influencers, as mentors, it's really hard to know how to support that individual if they lack their own awareness, right? Um, if they're super aware and they can bring their needs forward, yeah, we can we can meet people where they are. But I don't know about you. It's very hard to find people who are that clear about who they are and what they need uh, in a in a work setting, let most, alone anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, well, most I will tell you based on my 14 years as a leadership coach, most of my clients have moderate to low self-awareness. So they have either not spent time on it because they've been so focused on what they do whether they're an attorney or a pharmaceutical engineer or a manufacturing executive, they're so focused on what they do, they don't spend enough time on how they're doing it. And part of how is self-awareness. And these tools are out there to help us uh, expand our awareness of it. And most people just don't find the time, don't have the interest, don't exist in a culture that supports you know that type of focus. Totally, totally. And yes, to all of that, Ed. And the thing that the Enneagram did for me was start to plug in the puzzle pieces between what I do and why I'm motivated to do that in the first place. And if I can look at why I do what I do, I can meaning make um, my behaviors and my actions, what I'm striving for, what security looks like, how I cope. Um, I can do a lot more to pivot, how I communicate, how I lay expectations, how I meet people where they are as a way to drive more effective results, right? And so what I learned very quickly about myself was I was a go-getter. I was very action-oriented. I moved very, very quickly. and But I was also missing the motivation of why I did those things. And I did all of those things because I I sit as a type seven in the Enneagram, which means nothing to people unless you get into it, right? But I sit as a type seven in the Enneagram. And what I recognized in learning myself, this sort of deep level of awareness I got was why did I move towards things? And I recognized it was a motivation to escape. (laughs) I struggled to cope with fear. I didn't know how to deal with anxiety. I didn't know how to deal with fear, which also means that I wasn't really practiced at rumbling with things like self-doubt or feedback or, you know, perceived criticism. And so I just moved really quickly to the next thing. And 
the the identification through the Enneagram allowed me the opportunity to first be able to name both of these things. Oh, yeah, okay, I can see the both sides of these things. My greatest strength becomes my Achilles heel. And now I know what to do about it. I know how to language it. And I know how to then communicate to a supervisor or a direct report or a peer, hey, I have a tendency to move pretty quickly. Um, sometimes I do that when I want to sort of escape the the yucky things. Hey, can you hold me accountable? Um, this is what accountability looks like for me, right? And so we get on the same page in a way that might have taken years and years and years of, you know, building community before you sort of accidentally find your way to this sorts of collaboration. So the Enneagram becomes a both psychological and spiritual tool in that it helps me identify what do I think? What does that look like cognitively? And then how does that match who I am, sort of my my essence, my character, my way of being? And how do I use both in the context of how I live and work? And so, Aaron, does someone take an assessment to come to a Enneagram conclusion? Uh, you can. That, the answer is you can. Here's where you're going to start to get my ner- my nerdy side. <laughs> <laughs> so the very best online Enneagram test on the market is still only 46% reliable and valid. So I still encourage people to start there because it's a great starting point in a way that might be more accessible to me. However, it is going to be our work, our critical thinking, our sort of reflection that will help us sort of fill in the missing pieces, right? Because a computer algorithm is only so good. And when we want to get nuance like emotions and motivations and not just bucket behavior, we're going to lose accuracy. So people might find that taking an online test and then doing some reading reflecting gives them a place to start. They might find attending a training or reading a book or listening to a podcast or working with a professional can help them move through the process. There's no wrong way to do it. I really just always encourage people to trust their instincts versus all of the different ways in which people are like, you seem like a such and such type, right? Right. Well, different people learn in different ways, right? There are people who are audio learners, there are people who are visual learners. And, you know, I, I need to tell you how I best learn that type of information. So I know that Enneagram isn't built around, I don't think, particular concepts like bravery. But when you look at bravery as it applies to the nine behaviors or models that make up the Enneagram, where does it play a role? So I'm assuming it exists in all of them, but, you know, and uh, this is an off the cuff type question, but, you know, where does bravery uh, or does bravery play a role in the nine behaviors that make up the Enneagram? That's a really great question. And I think there's, there's some factors in it that would influence how what would maybe get in somebody's way of taking action or moving forward, even when they're afraid, right? And that's sort of what I feel like my definition of bravery or courage of is, is knowing the risk and sort of 
doing it anyway and, and facing it. And when I sort of hold on to these nine core archetypes, of course, everybody has the propensity to be brave or to take risk or to show courage. But what gets in the way or what might be blocking that decision? And there are definite types within the Enneagram who have a further hurdle to cross to maybe get closer to those decisions where there are other types that sit maybe closer to the starting line, and it might not be as much effort, right? So we we bucket the nine types into three energetic movements. There are types that go at life. They're assertive and aggressive. Um, So you might see those people who outwardly or behaviorally appear pretty brave, right? You've got compliant types, the ones who sort of sit in the middle of the mix and assess expectation. And so we might miss their bravery, but it's still there because they're the ones that are probably holding people accountable, checking in to make sure deadlines are getting met, following the rules, right? They're really concerned with the here and now and the expectation in the moment. Um, And then you've got the, the, the types that are more passive that tend to need to process pull back, think, um, reflect, maybe do some more inward work, which again, behaviorally, we might miss their bravery because it might be speaking up in a meeting that they don't normally speak up in because it's something that really means a lot to them. So it's really cool because I think it gives you the opportunity to look at the diversity of human action and human behavior and start to see how just nuanced behavior could be. And not to sort of say that like the big, you know, jumping in the front of something (laughs) is brave, but so is the person who spoke up in a meeting where, you know, they felt like they were putting everything on the line just to use their voice. Well, we could talk for hours about uh, the concept you just shared, which is, you know, there's not one way to be brave. It starts with who you are. And there are people, you know, there are some people who appear to be very brave and speak up and do so, of course, with respect and professionalism, but speak up and engage. And there are others who are uncomfortable doing that. In fact, may never do it because whatever is built into their head precludes them from doing that. So I'm just wondering, Aaron, do you have a, a story that you can share with our listeners where you did not show bravery in the past and, you know, kind of the impact or thoughts that you have on that today? Yeah, there is a particular moment in my career that has defined, I think, every moment after. Um, I started leading a team at a very young age. I worked for a a young company and it was growing really quickly. I think we were growing at over 50% every year for the almost 10 years I was there. So there's some pain points in that kind of growth. And here I am, 24 years old, you know, sort of cutting my teeth in in business and in life. And I get promoted a couple years into that job running a sizable team at a very young age. And now it's interesting to sort of hold the Enneagram next to it, knowing my type, knowing my personality. I was somebody who could rally the troops well. I was I was great at the group and getting everybody clear about expectations. And we worked really, really well as this cohesive unit. But in that much change, in that much growth, there was a lot of chaos. 
right? And I remember at one point, I was very blessed to have an executive coach and my homework was to go do this like 360 feedback with my team, but we did it live and everybody gave me feedback. And it was pretty powerful to me that everybody gave me the same feedback. And it was all, you're a fantastic leader down. You, you make us feel really, really good and cohesive in a unit, but we aren't seeing you lead up. You aren't advocating for us. You aren't fighting for us. There's all this change. And it's like, you think you can sort of just protect us down, you know? And I remember being, I felt like a sucker punch, you know, um, and all that I was missed. And I didn't have the, uh, the ability in myself to change that in that current job. I'd been there for almost eight years. Sort of my habits were really strong. And so I made the decision to leave the company. And when I interviewed, I was like, okay, that's, I'm never, ever going to get that feedback again. I'm never going to get the feedback that they don't feel like that I don't, you know, sort of create this cohesion down and advocate up. And it has since changed, you know, that's, I mean, 14 or 15 years ago. And it's, it's changed. I tell that story all the time, because I lacked the courage to change my behavior, because of my own personality, because my own tenderness, because of my own doubt. Um, And honestly, a clean slate, (laughs) sort of being able to start over felt easier for however young and naive that was to to change my behavior and advocate in a different way so well thank you for sharing that story and i love a couple of aspects to it one is that regardless of the feedback that you got you only got it because you asked you know it's unfortunate we don't live in a world where we get this feedback on a regular basis so we can self-modify in the moment and get better at what we need to do and then secondly you know uh it's just been apparent through the research that I've done about bravery at work. And again, this is a topic for a whole nother podcast, but the degree that people do something harder, which is leave, then improve and say, look, that was hard to hear. I want to be successful here. What do I need to do in order to, in your example, lead up better and lead managers and help everyone feel better? And this isn't directed at you, but oftentimes people say, well, this isn't working out. This wasn't what I thought it would be. This was really hard to hear. I'm going to leave and move on. And of course, that takes effort and time in order to do that. So uh, again, I appreciate that story, Erin. Thank you. No, it's it's been some of the most profound learning that I've had, right? And what a beautiful uh, way to summarize that, yeah, sometimes we take the the hardest path to reconciliation because from the seat that I was in, I didn't feel like I could make, I could, right? I absolutely could. This version of me sees that, but this young version of me didn't feel like I could ever influence change here. So the only way for me to 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 get better or do better was to not. So yeah, it's it's pretty amazing how <laughs> you make it harder. It is, and that's why they say, you know, hindsight's 2020 because you know, looking back you're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that." So Yeah, it's so clear now. <laughs> it is so clear. Aaron, it has been great chatting with you today. If our listeners would be interested in speaking with you, what's a great way that they can contact you? 
yeah, they could check me out at livingtheenneagram.com. That's my website. Um, lots of great information about how I intersect the Enneagram in how we work and how we lead and how we guide. Uh, I also have a ton of free resources about the Enneagram on Instagram at Living the Enneagram um, or my YouTube channel, Living the Enneagram. Uh, so if you're new to the Enneagram and you're just looking for to poke around and a place to start, uh, both Instagram and YouTube are a great place to find some good quality information about the Enneagram. I've been working with the tool and trained for 13 years. So I'll give you all the good deep sciencey stuff on top of the fun, playful things too. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier that you were a number seven. What is the, what is that? So it is traditionally thought of as sort of the, uh, adventurer spirit, um, the, the epicure. I never really related to that uh, sort of generalization of the type. I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty big introvert. I'm pretty shy, actually. And it wasn't until I got deeper into the Enneagram that I realized there's actually 27 types, not just nine. Um, so there are three kinds of sevens, which we're, we're just like cracking open the shell right now. And so I was able to find me in there eventually and really see how nuanced my behavior had become. So, Well, fantastic. And to our listeners, if anybody is interested in hearing more about the Enneagram, and I'm sure... Erin, uh, you do a lot more than just the Enneagram, but specific to this, uh, reach out to Erin. I'm sure she would be happy to engage you in a conversation and explore participating in the Enneagram process to, to build your self-awareness. So Erin, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ed. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success which is available in paperback on Kindle and in audio everywhere online. You have something to say, yet are not saying it. You have something to do, yet are not doing it. Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.